Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, where we are continuing with our Continental series, looking at breeds which came out of Central Europe in the UK over the last half century. The Beltex breed started out basically as a Texel sheep bred in Belgium. As they have done with cattle and pigs, it was only natural that the Belgians exploited the double muscle gene, breeding only from those with exceptional muscle. The breed first arrived in UK in 1989, and I'm delighted to have as guests this week John Barclay, known to many as Beachy, past chairman of the Beltex Breed Society, and Belgian scientist and breeder Jürgen de Poit from Dixmond in Belgium. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Hello. Thank you. Hi, Grant. Jürgen, if I can start with you, double muscle is something that Belgians specialize in. I, I, I've got names... Roger Hansett and Professor Pascal Leroy is doing some of the early research and it wasn't just cattle and sheep but pigs, chickens and even horses. You work in that sector I think uh, Jürgen so without getting into too much technical detail can you explain some of the work that was done with these genes and why? Right well first of all I'm not a scientist Uh, let's say I'm in the middle in between the breeders and the scientists I'm a practical scientist let's say it's not the scientists who made our uh, farm animals so muscled, let's say. It is the breeders. Uh, and the scientists came after them and found out how it worked in the genes, let's say. These two uh, professors were on, uh, from the southern part of the country, uh, Pascal Leroy and Roger Hanset, were both professors in the veterinary school down in the south. But you forgot one important name there, and that's Michel George. He's a, a world-famous scientist when it comes to molecular genomics, and he's the man who found out which particular mutations cause the double muscling, first of all in the, in the Belgian blue cattle, but also in sheep. Uh, I think it's Rambouillet where he found the Calipige gene. And in the pigs, that's my profession. My professional job is in the Petram pigs. Uh, there they found the IGF-2 gene, uh, okay. which is also very important. And uh, they only could find these genes because we fixed them in our uh, native breeds, being Belgian Blues, uh, Petran and uh, Baltic Sheep. Okay. The, as you said, the breeders were looking for the muscle, but uh, you guys picked up the gene and fixed it and then, uh, yep. and then bred from the extremities of that. And the breed arrived in UK in 1989, and butcher and entrepreneur Tom Ashton, who's been previously on this podcast, um, uh, had seen them on a farm whilst buying Belgian blue cattle. But it took quite a while to get the imports into the UK due to a few health status problems, I think. And I suspect that was probably made a visner. Would that be, uh, Jürgen? Indeed, uh, well, father and his flock, together with grandfather, uh, they got rid of MV, uh, I think it was the 1990s. Well, I think the first year after they got the the free certificate, they were able to export uh, to the UK, but it wasn't uh, through the society of Tom Ashton, it was rather... Uh, the other one from Scotland. Come You're on. going to talk a later on, on that, I think. Uh, we'll come on to that one, yes, indeed. And uh, Tom Ashton admitted that he knew very little about sheep, but uh, encouraged by his wife, Margaret, he teamed up with uh, Dr. Mike Tempest and they formed the Beltex partnership, of course, where the breed got his name. And they also formed a partnership with Monsieur Paul Hardy, uh, a Belgian ministry official uh, who helped with those first imports under an umbrella known as Belgimex. And uh, he was a smart guy, Jürgen. Do you remember him? Were you involved at that stage? Yes. Well, Paul was indeed uh, an official. Uh, I I think it was in in the back end of his career. Maybe he was already a pensioner when he uh, got involved into the Belgimex cooperative. Again, he's from the southern part of the country, French-speaking. As you know, Belgium has a Dutch-speaking part and a French-speaking part. I'm from the Dutch-speaking part. Well, Paul Hardy being a a very good gentleman, uh, uh, I'm sure he he got along really well with Tom Ashton being a gentleman himself. So they they teamed up and uh, got it started, especially in the beginning years. You have to remember, it's only 1992. We got the common market. So uh, there were... A lot of red tape before 92, let's say, when, when they started off the Beltex breed and the exports to the United Kingdom. Also, uh, quarantine was necessary. 
So it wasn't straightforward, and um, Paul Hardy, being really well connected into the Belgium side, uh, he, he he was really the right man to get it going together with uh, Tom Ashton. And Tom did admit, because he had had uh, experience with importing Belgian blues through the quarantine, yeah. that uh, he was the right man to, to get those imports started. Correct. And I think they managed to get a few flocks tested uh, early on for made of business so that they could meet the UK requirements. And uh, yeah. the first uh, sheep came, came from there. And Tom... I then took the sheep round to the Royal Shows and he had a trade stand at the Royal Highland Show displaying the sheep. And I remember my father was judging the Blue Domains at the Highland Show that year and on a day when he was bored and uh, before the bars opened, wandered off and found the stand. And uh, I can still see the excitement in his face when he dragged me across there to have a look at those sheep. And within minutes, he'd bought the two ewe lambs on the stand to find his Cunningswick flock and one of the very first in the country. And their names were Virginia and Verbina. I'm really surprised it was not you who dragged your father. Because... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it shows how how keen your father was really as a stockman. Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, I got into Texel sheep pretty much the same year that he got into Beltex sheep. So the two of us ran the flocks side by side and Texel was always my primarily interest but uh, yeah I had a foot in both camps but and um, a few other like-minded individuals got in contact with uh, a Belgium ex such as Mary Dunlop of course Dane and Bigger and uh, John McElraith from Beleg and Beleg have been mentioned quite a few times on these recent podcasts with uh, John's father Jordi um, pioneering in other breeds in the UK including Texels, Charolais, Simitols, Romanolas as a list um, so Jock's involvement was no real surprise but he also teamed up uh, with another entrepreneur in the burly frame of Gavin Shanks and um, this might be a tad unfair but although Big Gav might have been a top man in the blue domains in those early days I think Billig would be more the stockman and perhaps Gavin the brains and possibly the finance but together they soon saw a huge opportunity in the breed and um, they went on to form the Belgian Beltex Society based in Carlisle with Jock as chairman and Jock was some man, Beachy. Yeah, you'll have known him for a long time and Gavin as well, tell me. Yep, absolutely, Andy. Um, two excellent entrepreneurs and excellent stocksmen. Uh, and I certainly owe them both a lot for getting me into the breeder. Before I ever had um, Beltexes, I teamed up with John and I knew John through my father. Father and George were, were friendly through the Rouges at the time, and um, uh-huh. the Romanolas as well, and uh, I teamed up with John, and, and I went to the Welsh show, that was my very first time away with Gavin and John, uh, the year they showed Shogun down there, and oh. I, I think I think I showed them, and, and that's how I got involved, to be quite honest, um, it all started uh, for going to Belig, uh, to a young farmer stock judging, and seeing a class of Beltexes and I was just a wee bit like your father, uh, Andy, at the Highland Show. I was so excited. Mm. Come home, told my father I wanted these sheep and that, that's that's how it all started. But, okay. uh, they certainly, they were a breed that opened a lot of eyes because they were just something very different. They, and there was a, a, a group that got together um, around, uh, uh, like Alan Tom, I think, would be in that group. And they were mainly uh, Scottish people. I think David Brown and uh, Willie Carson from Dan Killybegs and took the interest into Northern Ireland. And meanwhile, further south, Tom Ashton formed the Beltex Breed Society in Cheshire at, at his home in 1991 with Helen, his daughter, as the role of secretary. And the first two rams they brought in were called Lothar, Lothar Van Het Koronoff, I'm not getting the pronunciation right, and yeah. Mistral. And uh, Jürgen, did Tom import those? Uh, Lothar uh, registered a 75 offspring, and I yeah. think Mistral was a son of his, was he? Uh, indeed, uh, Lothar was uh, the main top, and, and really the founding top for uh, the Carcass Boys. Uh, later on, um, David Garner told me, they never had a top like that again uh, with that carcass and he, uh, a top which uh, put that through to his uh, offspring also in crossbreed uh, for the carcass competitions. Um, so uh, that was uh, the main, the first really star of the Beltex scene, let's say, who who helped the breed further. Uh, Lothar was actually indeed from het Kornhof, that's uh, Wilfred Blanchard. But uh, he was sold by a, a local breeder here, not so far from where we have our flock, uh, okay. a fellow called René Sabba. 
to start with, there were some difficult politics, I think, in those early years. It was sort of quite a tetchy time, really. Then My father, I think, was in both societies, and um, John and Gavin would bring a lot of sheep in from Belgium, which uh, wouldn't be registered in the, in the other society. And uh... Uh, Also, here, I would like to... To, to mention uh, something which isn't mentioned a lot in the official uh, documentation on websites. Uh, uh, the, the, the Flemish site was, uh, was, uh, was, there was a cooperative for, where we, amongst which my father was a member of, and that was called Ovisco from uh, a fellow a veterinarian called Bernard Carton. And uh, that's where uh, John and Gavin with their society teamed up uh, while Tom Ashton rather teamed up with uh, the southern part with Belgimax oh, and Paul Hardy. Oh, and in the first years, it was mainly Bernard Carton taking around uh, British trips uh, on, a, on a safari for, uh, for buying tubs and gimmers and whatnot. They did a very good job, I think, in the beginning years. It wasn't just two or three, they'd come back with an entire floatload of two or three hundred, wouldn't they? And, yeah, well, that's uh, it, yeah. Uh, and they'd have a sale originally, I think, in Penrith and uh, start with, and then later uh, went to Carlisle. And obviously, they were bringing a lot of imported sheep in. They gave everybody access to the breed and uh, and then a little bit of money in their pocket, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was once in Belgium with John McElreath, Garvin, and John Hall, and it was um, Jürgen, it was Josh Hopkins. Hopkins, correct. Yeah. After, I think, uh, the veterinarian, he planned to do uh, a sale directly passing by John McElroyd and Gavin Shanks, but that sale was totally boycotted, obviously. Uh, and then they, they went along with uh, Josh Hopkins, which uh, brokered for them then, and that man took over uh, the job of uh, Bernard Carton. That's how it uh, went. And eventually, later on, Gavin Shanks went along with uh, Noel van den Ende, a familiar face on the sales in, in Carlisle, I'm sure. Uh, there you see uh, things change, the teams change now and then. <laughs> As I said earlier on, the politics got a little bit tetchy and Tom and Margaret would be bringing their own sheep in and, and having sales on the farm at, uh, at Lawns in, in Cheshire and then eventually moving their sale to Chelford Market, which of course was the main sale point for the Belgian Blues. And a lot of Tom's early customers would be existing Belgian Blue breeders, of course, coming back for a slice of the, of the, next, uh, mm-hmm. of the next great thing. And my father and my brother Nick and, and myself would also head off on buying sprees maybe a little bit later, um, Jürgen, which you would organise for us. And uh, we had some fun. And if I remember right, it was you that introduced me to Belgian Trappist beer. That stuff is lethal. <laughs> well, from what I recall, uh, if I go to UK, you have Stella and it has a, an alter an alternative name. Uh, it's the, the woman's beater or something like that. The wife beater. The wife beater, yes, that's that's it. But that's only 5% of alcohol. These Belgian Trappists are up to 12%. So to <laughs> get an idea what it it's can do with a man. <laughs> it's mental stuff. And, and we'd buy back then and maybe up to 20 gamers 20 30 gamers at a time and keep the best ones for the flock and pitch the rest into carlisle and uh, came into the country at reasonable money and it was quite a profitable little job for a while to be fair and uh, gavin and, and um, john would take quite a bit of money out of the, of the sheep in those early days and, and good for them and eventually the two societies merged in 1995 and another past blue domain breeder marion reed was chairman and they set up council which i think my father was on and helen stayed on as secretary of the new british beltex society and assisted by pat johnson and she was very able at that job wasn't she bg she certainly was i they, they, had, they had many years in the job and and uh, i put the society where it is today really to be honest very very able indeed she'd be handling the politics as well as the, the sheep absolutely <laughs> I'm going to mention a couple of early decisions. One was that the decision was made to keep the tails long on the ram so they could distinguish them from the Texel breed. And that still is the case today, I think, isn't it? Yes, I, it is. And that was quite a hard sell for a few years anyway. The breed took a lot of ridicule from the existing Texel breeders, but uh, the carcasses didn't lie, did they? And soon the breed was starting to scoop up the fat stock shows with unprecedented carcass quality and... Let's go back and look at a few of those early flocks uh, that we talked about. John and Carol McElroy had a couple of flocks, so a couple of prefixes, I think, and uh, 
Shogun was the first round I remember, and he was a great show beast, wasn't he, Shogun? He won a lot of silverware. He did. He won everything that was going on, so he did die. And uh, the market did a lot of semen off Shogun after that for a few years. And Gavin Shanks had been an oppo of ours in the Blue Domain breed, and he was no stranger to the show ring. And again, he became a thorn in our side in a nice way. Such a great gentleman, him and Alice were great friends of my mum and dad. And an early tub he had was called The Rustler, and we'll go on to speak about him in a minute as well. Um, another character, Gordon Belcher, he was strong in the commercial cattle show circuit when I was a youngster, and uh, he got in the Beltex very early. And I think, again, he bought sheep from you, uh, Jürgen. Through John and Gavin, uh, he ended up with a, a particularly uh, good top. I think he was sold as a shearling in, in Carlisle, must have been early 90s. Um, I think his number was 43, 42. He, Gordon wasn't really a marketing man, so he, he forgot to give him a name, I think. But he did, he did well. And uh, in local newspaper, Agricultural Press, that was uh, the first up which... Uh, to, to hit a, a good price in Carlisle. I think the exact first show, that, that was the show winner, uh, actually. I think it was. I think it was jumping out. There were a, a few in the borders. Uh, Mary Dunlop, Corstein, Alan Jackson, Ed Headland, and, and, uh, and a few more down there. And then we'll mention Jock Allen. And Jock was such a strong name in the breed and always had great sheep. But uh, what a character. Beach. Him and my father were always having bets on him. <laughs> Usually involved a bottle of whiskey. And, uh, but, uh, That's right. They were two of a kind. So they were under the table. Um, but, but he bred Suffolk as well, I think, didn't he? Uh, he did, he's a great uh, advocate of the breed. You all have known him well. He was quite, he was quite big in the Suffolk's in his in his day, uh, Andy, and then and then he got this absolute passion for the Beltex. He just he fell in love with him, to be honest, and uh, he brought so much good to the breed. The kind of guy that Jock was, you know, he advertised the breed to everybody because he had so much passion about it, like you know. Uh-huh. So he did. And he'd had a bit of history. I think he'd been in the dairy, and then uh, unfortunate circumstances that he moved out of the dairy farm. And as you said, he took uh, he took the the, the Beltex to to his heart. That's right. And, uh, I, I know he was in he was in a dairy that the Baileys are in the Beltex. They're in that dairy farm now, like. But it, I, as you that... say, his, his son was killed at air show, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's when that all came to an end. But I job get going with like someone. And Alan Jackson went on to work closely with Graham Burke of the Pentland's flock for a while, and they put some great sheep out together, I think, because we bought a top called Headland Dynamic, and uh, I think that might have been the lamb that won the Highland. And I think he was by the Rustler, would that be right? He'd won the Ram Lambs, I think, had he not? Aye, possibly, aye. Alan Jackson won the Highland with a top of ours, I think, Duke of Flanders. Yes. Or it might have been the reserve, I don't know. Rustler was a, a top... Uh, sold in Carlisle again from us. Uh, Wade McCabe was uh, in the breed early from the Ard Stewart flock, and he's been at the top of the breed pretty much ever since. Uh, they're in Donegal and in, in, in Ireland. Uh, some some breeder, uh, Beachy. Oh, great man, Wade. Um, I go back a long way with Wade. And he's been right there for the start, and I've never known him not to breed good sheep. His, his, his sheep are amazing, like, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. We'd always bring his sheep across to the Highland as well. That's right, aye. And McAllister's too, they brought sheep to the Highland as well. Willie and Liz, uh, um, they were pretty able, weren't they? Very able, aye, very able. And still are, to this very day. Uh, my father started with a ram called Ugly Bug from Flock 4007. Curdy was well named, that sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and the Cunningsflick flock did uh, did well on some great imported lines. And you guys will know more about that flock than than, than I do. A few other people in those early flocks you mentioned briefly, Jock McMillan from Castle Clary, and, and uh, he was in there right at the start, I sure, an able man and, and uh, showing sheep from a from a wheelchair and just always brought out some great sheep, but uh, just did the job right, always, still does. Yeah, still does, don't mind, don't mind, still as able as he was then, and <laughs> so he has enjoyed cowing uh, as well in the days, he was in early and, and brought out a lot of good stuff in his day as well. Brick Row, yeah, and and there was uh, Aberdeenshire boys, uh, Stuart Woods, obviously Bruce Mayer, more renowned for Suffolk and Texels, and uh, Ross and Kirsty Williams uh, got in a bit later. But uh, those guys from Aberdeenshire were—they're never going to come out soft, are they? 
No, not at all, not at all. They were all slightly later on, like. Sure. Uh, and further north, we got uh, Donald Douglas, uh, um, of course, and uh, he had a top of ours called Brutus, I think, and Alton Copland up in, in Orkney in this. Breed was certainly well represented right across the country, wasn't it? Some, some it was so. Good guys. It was so. Uh, and I need to mention the the McLean boys, uh, North Cop, uh, great characters. <laughs> and Alistair was was a copper, wasn't he? And and uh, all the sheep had great names like North Cop Arrest and Assault and Crook Nabber. Yep. And uh, yep. they yep. Uh, they had a they had a decent gimmer from us, I think, originally that uh, um, did well for them. But now they're just just fantastic characters. Yep. Uh, and Sarah Gibbons again bought a few foundation use for from for, us for for the Watmore flock and then her and Steve are, are, are big players nowadays and Paul Tibbetts and, and Andrew Bishop uh, in the breed uh, extremely able sheepmen and Jürgen your father was a prominent breeder and I know we bought some sheep from you as did many others and uh, who would be the other main flocks in in, in Belgium in those days and, and... Uh, well, as mentioned already, uh, the breeder of Lothar, uh, Wilfred Blanchard, was really important in the beginning. Obviously, Willy Warbrook and his son now, uh, Geert, uh, very influential all my life. I've known them on, on the top up to, to these years. Uh, then Luke Segert, he didn't export that many, uh, but uh, he, he's always been at the top of the tree down here in Belgium. Then in the southern part of the country, there was Jacques Louest and uh, Mr. Schwab. Uh, they, uh, I think, bred a tub called Valenen du Trou de Baudet, which was sold by Alan Tom and uh, bought by Freddy Coulter, an important breeder in Northern Ireland early on. Uh, yeah. That was that sale in, in 1997, I think, in Carlisle. Um, I remember Joe Callan being the, the underbidder. He was sitting next beside me and, and asked me which sheep to buy. I said, you need to buy this sheep. But uh, he went 4,000 and he stopped just under Freddy Coulter. Uh, very, very okay. unfortunate. Anyway, uh, other breeders uh, then uh, in, in, in the east near Germany uh, is um, Van Esser. Uh, at the time, uh, Van Kolen, that, that was where uh, uh, breeders were uh, governed and uh, John Machelright imported quite a number of uh, stock. There's a few there. Uh. I remember, I think when I was with you being on a farm where a man had a concrete bunker in the middle of his field. <laughs> they said that was where Hitler had been in there in the First World War. And I remember there were a dozen gimmers they should. Luke Callens. Luke yeah. Callens, that's the man. Uh, and I a veterinary, uh, yeah, yeah, very special uh, man. He showed us 10 gimmers and said, these are the ones for sale. And my brother would, and my father were going through these 10 gimmers. And I walked around the back of this bunker and I found the ones he didn't want to sell. And I, I said, run those in the shed. And I said, we'll buy the lot. And we took all of them. We took every one of them from him. And there was some cracking. She did us very well, Luke Cullen. So. Okay, Beachy, that runs us around to yourself. And, and your flock started? 96, uh, Andy, I started. We um, four imports from John and two from Gavin. Snowballed for there. Um, following year, purchased uh, Shogun semen for them and started flushing and to get my numbers up. And aye, that's how it all started, Andy. Aye. And the breed were originally untrimmed. And whose decision was it to change that? Can you remember? I know my old man wasn't keen to get the shears out. Uh, they were quite happy with them. I was too, quite happy not dressing them at all. Pretty sure the Belgian Beltex Society from John McElright and uh, Gavin Shanks decided on. Uh, they would allow it. Actually, John was a hell of a good, a good presenter and and, and bringing up sheep. Uh, and a very good thing they allowed it to distinguish between the, the the British taxel where you weren't allowed to do that, and that caused a lot of uh, argument in the, in, in the British taxel, from what I heard. And the salesmanship helped the Baltex breed being different. I'm absolutely I'd... sure about that. And, and John McElroyd and their society did a good thing, allowing it. To move on, the first edition of the Beltex Journal was published in 1995, and it incorporated the Irish yearbook as well, and the journal was edited and produced by Ian Kerr, now of the recently CEO of the Limousine Cattle Society and now CEO of the uh, Simmental Cattle Society. In 24 pages, there were 123 breeders listed in the directory, and the front cover featured Showgirl, uh, mm-hmm. Shearling owned by Willie Carson and bred in Belgium by Jack Lewis. 
and uh, she was champion at the 1995 Irish National Show and reserve champion in 1996. But meanwhile, Smithfield was the destination for the Fat Lambs, and a name we mentioned, David Gardner, had been rattling the door for a good few years before eventually cleaning up with a superb pair of lambs bred by Jock Allen, and then again with a fantastic, if not somewhat controversial, pair of lambs a year or two later. And along with David uh, and Andrew Bishop, uh, Rob Smith, and a few Texel breeders who jumped the fence, such as Robin Slade and John Hall, the playground got taken over by the Beltex. And Richard and Granville Colgrave from Perth was another hot contender, outbidding the pedigree breeders for crossbred tups to to, uh, to go into the fat stock show with. And uh, we won the Birmingham Prime Stock Show in 2000 with a decent pair of lambs. But these these guys just, uh, they had the whole thing to themselves, didn't they, boys? They were absolute masters at it, Andy. I suppose at the end of the day, these guys put the Beltex on the map for what they, and what they could produce. Speaking to some of the Texel breeders a while back and saying that maybe they took their eye off the ball a little bit on the carcass side of it just at the time when the, when the Beltex came in and, and uh, lifted a lot of these carcass trophies from them. But uh, let's move on before I get shot. They first had show classes for Beltex at the Royal Welsh Show in 1995, which uh, Shanksy and Beleg won. And Beachy, you said you came down to that. I think my old man was in amongst the tickets there as well. And uh, he was. Uh, and yourself and Jack Dunlop used to come down to the Welsh then to give my old man a hand very often. And uh, you'll know better than me. Uh, the the uh, it was a great show of Beltex, wasn't it? And uh, the old man used to get well stuck into it. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, uh, memories that will live with me forever, Andy. Um, we used to come down and help your mum and dad and and, and, then, <laughs> and then go to the LSA sheet bar for the the rest of the day. McCallum's <laughs> 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 whiskey, I always remember it, McCallum's. <laughs> he was always up early in the morning, the old man, no matter what he'd had the night before, he'd always be the first one out in parade in the morning. I think that he actually absolutely won. absolutely right, absolutely right. Was, there was an but, award there for the shepherd of the show, I think. I think somebody had judged it over a period of the week, sort of people that attended their stock better and uh, best. And despite the drink that he took, he won that award, which I think was probably the best thing he's ever won there, to be fair. But uh, yeah. he was keen. So the Beltex appeared at the Highland Show the following year and won again by that pairing with Shogun. And uh, Shogun was a great beast. Let's have a chat about him. What was his breeding there, Jogun? It's a top bred by uh, Josh Hopkins, I think, uh, mainly uh, by his own stock, if I'm not mistaken. He was used a lot in Belgium, a lot of other breeders, I think Rafferin, among which uh, used Shogun, uh, people who were friendly to Josh, uh, got a hold of him, actually sold some gimmers uh, to to Gavin Shanks then. Uh, so quite a number of stock came along with Shogun even before he was in... Uh, in United Kingdom. I think he so was the, imported as a two or three year uh, bitchy. Okay. Yeah, he was. Okay. I, I think a two year. I think uh, Jock Allen won the Highland Show with one of our sheep, Cunningswick Amalfi, which is a, oh, a, son, of, a yep. son of Ug- Ugly Bugger. We'll come up to some of the Rams in a minute. Just go to the shows. Wade uh, won Balmoral on twice on the bounce in 1996 and 1997 with a female called Ulrika uh, yep. under Robin, Robin Slade as a judge and then Tom Ashton. And she was some stylish beast, I remember her. I remember her day on the night. And eventually the breed got classes at the Royal Show, which again, I think uh, we were reserved to at the first year, and this time to a tub called Viagra, and uh, another tub that made his mark on the breed. And, and there were 47 entries that year. Father went on to win it a year or two later. But we'll chat about these rams in a second. And mm-hmm. But within just a few years, the breed numbers had just gone ballistic. And I think the the Highlands soon had more entries than the Texels. And uh, and it probably still does. There's, there's a couple of hundred of the bloody things. There. It does. It does, Andy. I were, were the last two or three, four, five, aye, five six years, we've been 30, 40, 50 sheep more in the mm-hmm. section than the Texels. Like the year I judged, 2016, there was 200 and... 56 entered, I believe. That's a I big think. entry. Big, biggest entry of anything in this show, I would think. Beachy, you won the Royal with uh, Am Yaman. What year was that? Uh, 2002, Andy. Okay. Another import? Uh, another uh, good flock, uh, Franz Sommers. Uh, he he was top of the three, actually. John Cohen got some breeding of him. It was bred by Franz Sommers, and uh, he brought it in from Northern Ireland. But I forgot his name. Uh, Hamish. Hamish, yes, exactly, correct. That, yeah. that was bred out of uh, 
blood from Frans Samos, I think. Yeah. A very good dog. One of the one of the he's next beside Viagra, I think. And if you look back in the in the, in the pedigrees on the online flockbook, uh, you would find him a lot. Uh, yeah. Hamish. Mamie and Robert Patterson were in around then as well, and and she's the current president. And uh, Mamie, if you're listening, thanks very much for giving me access to the database. So I've got no excuses to get it all wrong. Now, and uh, let's then go on to look at some of these other rams that shaped the breed. We, now, registration letters always um, make it easy to identify the prominent animals, and uh, some of the imports had all sorts of random names. But uh, what letter was A? We think perhaps 1997. 97, Andy. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Okay, and touched on Shogun, who bred a lot of sheep uh, by AI in, in a, a huge number of flocks, I think. And um, we talked about Lotar, and Tom Ashton had a sheep called Superman. You guys remember him? Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I remember him. Uh, he was bred by a fellow called Flamand, but uh, he bred tremendously well. Uh, actually, uh, Andy, your father had a super U from her, uh, from that, uh, I remember she was champ- champion in 2000 in the Royal Show, I think, supreme champion, uh, and she was by Superman, wasn't she? Paltex figured, I think, from Tom, yeah. bred by Tom Ashton. Yep. She was a good beast, right enough. Uh, a top we touched on called the Rustler, and he was bred by your father, Jürgen, I think, and he and Viagra were similar breeding, tell me a bit about him. Yes, uh, quite a number of good sheep uh, were bred from, from those lines. Actually, the, 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 the mother of Rustler was called Von. And uh, I think there was a, a tub which we later on sold to Gavin Shanks again. And he put them on Carlisle Market. He went to 2000 or something and uh, he think that's not enough. He retained, retained them. And uh, later on, uh, after the show, after Carlisle sale, he was... Um, Sold to Fergus Harbison, I think, for a fair price, I think 5,000 guineas. And uh, he called him Hutch. So that was a half-brother. And then I think Kevin McCarthy came and bought uh, a third important breeding tub from uh, from that mother. And uh, the, the connection with Viagra came through the sires. Uh, Viagra was by Tunis. He was bred by a neighbor here. Um, and, and the, the sire of uh, Von was a half-brother. That's that's how uh, it is. And uh, actually, their sire was uh, a tub which is one of the best tubs breeding in Belgium, um, was Rambu. And he was bred by Willy Warbrook. Yeah, that's how it is. That's the founding, one of the founding tubs, especially for the muscling as well. Uh, he put in quite a bit of muscling. And uh, we mentioned Viagra, who was sold by John McElroy for a record price, I think, of £8,000 to Jock Allen as in a syndicate with uh, Mary Dunlop, Dave Stanley and James and Debbie Milne. And another hard-to-beat top with some record, and he won the Highland and the Royal, I think, Beachy. That's right, yes, for the for the partnership that bought him. Um, he, he won them on the trot, so he did the Highland first and then down to the Royal won it the same year. He was a cracking right. beast. He was, he was close to... Um, unbeatable and we had a top called Ulysses de Cyprus earlier on and I think he won a fair share of prizes but there was another top later on called Ulysses that I think the McAllisters had and he bred a lot of sheep uh, uh, Beachy. Yes that's right he bred a lot of good sheep and he also won the Highland in uh, 2006 uh, Andy when your brother Nick judged and Tully Gali Elite. He was a two-shear, I think, and it was a time when we were all desperately searching for the Group 1 ARR um, scrapey uh, genotyped sires, and he caused a bit of a stir in Carlisle, I think, at 30-odd thousand. Uh, Beachy, you were involved in him, were you? Did you get a share? Yeah, 34,000. It was a two-shear, Andy, and uh, there was uh, myself, Garvin, John McElraith, John Hall, uh, Bob Roberts and Evan Evans f- f- <laughs> from Wales, and uh, we'd agreed the night before in the Pine Grove Hotel <laughs> that uh, we would go to twenty thousand guineas for him, and uh, I was given the I was given the task to bid for him, and I just remember yet getting to twenty thousand and stopping, and uh, I had John McElraith 
nipping one leg and I had Gavin Shanks nipping the other leg, <laughs> encouraging me to keep going. And aye, 34,000 they finished. I think the Aberdeenshire boys were after him as well. I remember that day very well. In fact, the story was that there was four of you in the syndicate, and when he got to 20,000, you found two more people to get in the syndicate to take him on. But I think that's probably right, actually. <laughs> 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 I could stuff. But no, he was, uh, it, was only, it was only group one in the market, I believe, uh-huh. uh, I think, uh-huh. if I remember right, Andy. Mm-hmm. A, tre- a tremendous sheep uh, to look at. He was a uh, fair size, a hell of a head. Um, big, good big, muslin so so on top of that he was uh, very scarce uh, being the the, 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 the scrapey thing mm. uh, so that, that made that price uh, go to the moon yeah. it, uh, um, it trebled I think the, the, the previous uh, record price yeah. anyway as I said right. it caused a bit of a stay and right. just going through a few of the top few that I were going to mention, Neil McQuiston had a top called Stockman. I think they did him very well. I'm not quite sure where he came from. And um, uh, Cunningswick Gadfly, uh, one of my fathers, he's in the back pedigree of a lot of sheep, including um, Corstein Whistler, who bred well for the mares at uh, Avonmore Flock. And he's also in the back breeding three or four times of the Aeroland Castro, the record price sheep. A bit later, my father bought Pentland's Hero from Graham Burke in a partnership with Andrew Graham uh, for 6800 He was a good beast and uh, a record price for a lamb on the day. And I think he was by the rustler and out of a Telegala U who was by Elite. So he put the pedigree behind him as well. And... That was a year after Elite was sold in Carlisle. I sold the top price lamb that day to 3500 um Beach of Hercules. And then Graham come away in at the end of the sale absolutely smashed my record that day. Mm, he was right at the end, I remember that. And, and uh, sadly, he went in a big hole in the ground in Cumbria to foot and mouth was a shame. I think he did breed a season, but uh, no more. And Beachy, I've gone through a few rams there, but I'll leave you to open floor to, to any others you want to mention that uh, that have shaped the breed and are big influences. One that influenced my flock too was Bulldozer. Um, yes. You remember, well, you remember him, Jürgen? Yes, absolutely. I think my father judged that top champion above Amir Man in in the Welsh show, in the Royal Welsh show, in Bill Falls. Right, the year the year we won the Royal with Amir Man, we yeah, took correct. Bulldozer and Amir Man to the Welsh as well, and we were champion with Bulldozer and reserve with Amir Man that year. So that'd be two thousand and two. He was influential for me. You mentioned uh, a, a breeder in Northern Ireland, uh, Wade McGrath. Mm-hmm. He he came out with quite a few Carlisle champions selling for good prices as well. And I remember uh, it was Ian Maxwell. Uh, yep. If you remember, uh, Beachy, he uh, he came along, I think, with John McElwright in the early years. And, and he he bought two uh, Sherland tubs down here. Raf and uh, Ravel, and and those were the first tubs uh, used by uh, uh, Wade McGrath, if I'm not mistaken. And one one of the offspring would be Charles or something, which Jock Allen as well bought. I think he won with offspring in Smithfield. As with all breeds on this podcast, we try to mention some of the females that put a backbone in a lot of these flocks. And uh, can we can we pick out a few uh, females here that uh, that stand out? The one which st- stood out in, in the shows, which i seen, uh, would have been uh, the, the you, which I mentioned before, the daughter of Superman, Baltex figure. Uh, I absolutely love that that you. I think we, we tried to swap uh, an E.T. Uh, top lamp from, from her, from your father, but we never mentioned to get it. Uh, I don't know <laughs> what happened with it, but uh, a very good top lamp, very muscled. I think you called him Mr. Muscle or something, but... Uh, we didn't get a hold yeah. of it. The shows tended to be won more by the males than the females, but there were some some cracking lines in there amongst some of these breeders that uh, that surely still come through today. I think the ones I remember the most uh, going back a bit now, um, Andy, is, is the Viagra bred daughters, i.e. South Old Carla, and then moving into Richard Wood's flock, uh, King Oldor's Peril and Phoebe, they were all Viagra uh, daughters that have bred some amazing sheep. I would say they are the females that stick out to me. In today's line, I would say maybe one of the most influential females that I can remember at the moment is probably Woody's Rice Crispy. I think she's probably the one that stands out 
um, in the female lines at the moment in the kind of modern era. And I think she was second at Highland and then won the Scottish National Show, uh, Andy. But she was sold for 6800 privately that day at the Scottish National Show and she's, she's definitely standing out in the breeding lines now. Like There's a lot of stuff coming coming back through her. So there is. As with the Belgian Blues, the embryo transfer had a lot of use in the Belgian breed. And, of course, when you do get a sheep like that, the, yeah, they... Uh, flushed and and uh, and they very quickly do make the mark on the breed and the, the embryo transfer still is is important and uh, as it is in the in the Texels so you can get some um, big single purebred top lambs out of scoopy big mule recipients and Beachy is this helping the breed commercially do you think it's one of these things Andy ever at it um, whether it's helping the breed or no I don't know I, th- I think it's making the pool of Pups, um, very similar um, at sales, but um, as I say, everybody's at it, and that's just the way it is nowadays. I don't want to be too controversial, but originally the Beltex breed obviously had a little bit of a reputation for a difficult lambing, and that was an easy way to get out of that by going through the recipient route, but they would still be a lot of Beltex would still be lambed pure and, and commercially and uh, with the right feeding. Uh, it's still a breed that you can handle. That's absolutely right. I've just lambed 75 pure yows, and I'm hand on heart, no word of a lie. This year, I have had no caesareans. Yeah. So it can be done. It, it absolutely can. We Well, actually, in Belgium, sheep are marginal, uh, is, are not very important if you compare it to the United Kingdom. Also, the pedigree job prices are uh, something, something different. So we, we cannot afford flushing and, and AI and, uh, or whatnot, so it's very traditional. And, and being honest, well, the breed is in the United Kingdom for 30 years, I think, well, up to 2000, 2005, the breed has evolved and has become bigger as well, uh, the frame, so wider pelvis is whatnot. Uh, well, we didn't have any caesareans on, on a 40U flock, I, I, I know absolutely sure. It, there's very few people having problems lambing. Obviously, you need some skill. It is a very muscled breed, but uh, it's uh, been bred uh, very functional uh, as well last last decade, let's say. Hey, Jürgen, uh, the breed has evolved, as you've said, but you'd carry on coming back over to uh, the UK every year, and uh, um, obviously you'd find customers for sheep. Um, uh, are people still going back to Belgium to, to buy sheep to this day? Well, I don't know, Beachy uh, has been across once, he's been on the farm once, uh, as he mentioned, but, uh, well, there's still a few breeders coming uh, for, for, I think, fresh bloodlines, uh, as you say, with AI and, and uh, yep. flushing being a big job, bloodlines coming together, some breeders uh, are, are uh, convinced you need a little bit of fresh blood now and then, and then. Our sheep might not be as big as they tend to be nowadays in United Kingdom, but uh, he would have a little bit more character and still have very, very muscle tubs. Uh, so um, I think uh, there is still exchange quite a bit uh, nowadays. Okay. I suppose what I'm asking, are there still tubs in Belgium that um, British breeders would still be going over there trying to, to find? Yes, I know. yes, I do believe there is, Andy, ASI. I would think uh, because we don't use these uh, modern techniques, we keep our sheep quite functional. Uh, we are very traditional about things. Uh, uh, testicles need to be there, mouse, uh, legs, so a tub not jumping on the head, you know, stuff like that. Yep. They get floated. And, and with those modern techniques, uh, a less fertile tub not working very perfectly, but uh, a show sheep might be used now and then. I think it is a good compromise. Um, Crossing in a little bit of Belgian blood, why not? Beachy. Why? <laughs> why not indeed? Yep. There you go. Then we'll give you we'll leave your phone number at the end of this podcast. They can give you a call. <laughs> and uh, a few breeders, of course, saw it fit to sell crossbred Beltex tops because they do cross and, and put a good back end on some other breeds as we know, and they became quite fashionable and Rob Patterson is an example at Auchinleigh, and he had a huge trade earlier on with some of those uh, Charolais cross Beltex tops. And uh, are they still doing that? Is there still a good market for for a first cross Beltex uh, commercial run? 
Oh, there is, Andy, aye. Um, very much so. Um, in Kelso, there's a ring designated uh, to the cross breed now, and uh, every year's about 400 nod in, in Kelso, like, and, and I'm I'm well into it as well. I've got Pedigree, Suffolk, Charlie's, Blue Domains here, and across them all. Uh-huh. New to the Beltex and sell the cross tops rather than keeping them three breeds that I mentioned there pure like they're they're all cross to the Beltex and so okay. I they're a big okay. market for them. And and there was uh, a breed called the Millennium Blue, which is the cross with the blue domain, which makes a decent breeding you. And I originally tried that with our original blue domain flock and uh, we wanted to call them the Blue Tex. I thought that was a good name, but uh, Millennium Blue they are and there's a bit of a market for those uh, beaches. So you're in that too, are you? Aye, certainly on Monday, aye. Um, I breed Millennium Blue Tops. Do you sell it also as well? Like, I... And I mentioned earlier on the dressing of the sheep, and this has maybe helped by trimming them back, has helped to keep a bit of a wool on the breed, because uh, unlike the Texel, who are you know, shown natural, some of them are becoming a bit bare-skinned now, so yeah. maybe, maybe yep. that uh, dressing has, has helped you guys. Yep, I believe it probably has, Andy, aye. Although there still is some bare ones kicking about as well, there is. But no, the dressing, the dressing definitely has helped up. I think uh, the top uh, elite put in quite uh, a bit of wool as well. From what I hear, uh, from a couple of breeders, they are going back to these old lines, especially elite, uh, for, for, for improving that uh, yeah. on the peelers. I think the, the peelers might go all the fashion, although the carcass men are really fond of it. Uh, blue-headed, uh, pigmented sheep are quite popular now for a fair years now, I think. Uh, as people tend to think they will put a, a better carcass in, uh, into their sheep for crossbreeding, and they probably do. Mm. But uh, the downside is, especially in the pures, if you don't have hair on your uh, on your head or, or, or wool on your belly, mm. you might get cold in Scotland. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not even going to go into that subject. We'll leave that one be. So, so I, would, I would definitely, and even in the pures, for showing purposes and whatnot, I, I like to see a little bit of wool. You can have a tight skin. I'm okay with that, but peeling is a little bit too far. You can have a little bit of peeling above the tail or in the neck, but not on the body. I, I wouldn't yeah, like yeah. that. I, I agree with you, Hogan. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the ones that strip uh, along their backs and up their sides. And uh, <laughs> Vici, while you were chairman, you actually put out a message to remind breeders that there were too many people were starting to look for heads rather than carcasses. And uh, that's a familiar story in a lot of breeds. Uh, um, did you get a bit of stick for that one? I suppose I did, uh, Andy. But at, at the time when my chairman's report, it had to be said because there was a lot of people mentioning it to me, especially from um, other breeds looking in. Listen, don't get me wrong. When I'm judging, I, I love to see something looking back at me, uh, and I like a good head as as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what I was trying to make everybody aware of at the time was, well, we are the number one carcass breed in Britain, and uh, we were to try and keep it that way, like mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely right, Richie. I'm in with that. Father always said, uh, "Keep an eye on your bread and butter." <laughs> and and yeah, uh, the head comes last. It's the cherry on the cake, let's say. Uh, that's the last thing you breed for. Uh, but the uh, same for me. Uh, we like a good head on a sheep, but you need to get your fundamentals first as a breeder. And, and what you see with new breeders coming in, especially hobby breeders, they go for heads and only yes. heads. And, and yes. they start off with the heads, I think. That's not uh, the route to go. This is somewhere that's going to get me in trouble. I'm going to. I can see this rabbit hole opening up for me. Uh, but yes, you're, you're right. I will agree with you. There's been a lot of emphasis on heads in a lot of breeds, and and uh, yeah, a good beast will make some money. A good head will make ten times the amount. Uh, moving on before the phones start ringing, the, the top price lamb uh, Richard Wood had uh, twenty seven thousand for Kinderlaw's Crusader to Wade and Alison McCrab in twenty seventeen, and he was out of a Viagra Dam and um, Beachy, and then uh, uh, another top last year made uh, 45,000, is that right? That's right. Um, it was uh, Matthew Burley lamb made from the Mats Flock in Northern Ireland, made 45,000 in Carlisle. Sold to Paul Tippett's uh, with the underbidders actually being uh, sportsmen's. And the current breed record is 65,000 for Shearling uh, Erlang uh, Castro from Neil and Janet McChristen, paid by Paul and Christine Tippetts, and they'd also set the previous record buying top flight Al Pacino for 60000 and they'd bought the record-priced female for 7800 Cora Natasha, and 
Hey, there's some folks here, but they'd sold a record price limits in female as well. So it's a able breeders, uh, um, uh, both oh. of them. That's right. Um, very, de very dedicated. The, uh, uh, a few top Texel guys getting into the breed these days. You mentioned Sportsman's, Proctors as well. Um, it's good these guys are coming in, putting a bit of money into the breed. Uh, the only problem being it might... It might make buying tops harder for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I think there was a, a shepherd with Paul and Christine Tappets. Alet, big... yes. He has a very good breeding you, wouldn't he? he? I think there's a top came across back to Belgium from that bloodline. Wait, and Alison McCrab bought a son as well. But I forget yes. the, the bloodline. Well, uh, he's a very good breeder, uh, actually, Alec. Yeah, a good showman as well. Very able. So how do we see the breed going forward then? Beachy, you're past chairman and uh, and obviously still with a lot of your eggs in this basket. Uh, is, is the breed going in the right direction still? Oh, for, absolutely, for... Andy. The, breed, the breeds, uh, you only need to look at the market reports. They're now a trade of uh, Beltex hogs at the moment. Like The breed is on fire at the moment. That's that's basically all I can say. And it's, it's, all, it's getting bigger, more members and more popular. Absolutely. Good breed to be in. For the Belgian breeders, I hope with uh, the Brexit now, it's not. It's a little bit unclear uh, how the, the the business is gonna be between our countries. Actually, I know from Northern Ireland because they are still into the EU uh, market. Uh, for them, it's it's a, a very problematic uh, situation as well. Well, for 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 EU for the continent for Belgian breeders, I hope uh, we we can still trade. Actually, we've used to. British Baltic steps in our flock and uh, prospered with them. So, especially with the breed become that big numbers, far bigger than what we have in Belgium. Uh, it would be a, a pity if we get back to the early days where it becomes very difficult uh, to exchange uh, bloodlines. It would be yep. a very sad thing, I think. Chaps, it's great to, to discuss the Beltex breed and its origins, and it's now gone through coming up to 35 years, and, and um, uh, I was pleased to be involved with it, and it's great to see the breed going that far forward, and it's fantastic to chat to you fellas. I know you both reasonably well from days gone by, and we've always had a dram together, and uh, let's hope we can get some shows back together and some sheep back out on the circuit and uh, and yep. uh, all get out there and enjoy, enjoy a dram again. Cheers, fellas. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks very much. Nice Bye. speaking to you. Thanks for your input. Been a Thanks. pleasure. Great. Okay. All the best. Bye -bye. Cheers. Right. Okay. Thank you for listening to our Top Lines and Tales podcast. Please tune in to our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find photographs to back up this episode and our other episodes as well. <laughs>